Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back. And today's episode is with none other than the champion of champions, Kyle Heinz. With Kyle, we talked a lot about the Cesc Olympiakos final from 2012, where he had a lot more fun than I did, but that's fine. Uh, we also talked a lot about his humble beginnings. Uh, we had a nice ego versus pride discussion. Some of his adaptation problems that he had coming to Europe, the mentorship he received, uh, accepting a role in Bamberg, captain duties, social media, the relationship with assistant coaches, lots of good stuff in here. Lots of lessons to learn on multiple levels. Uh, this episode was recorded over a month ago, so some information is not up to date, but it's I think the core information is really interesting. Also, please subscribe to this channel. Please uh, go and rate it on your uh, podcast platforms. Also on YouTube, if you have time, also please subscribe and uh, see you soon. Enjoy. All right, Kyle, we're on. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I'm happy, happy to be here. Happy to uh, to to be a part of be a part of this. Yeah, you you know it's your fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got you got the you got the podcast bug because of me. <laughs> yeah, you know it's your fault. You brought me on to this. I had we had a conversation in in like September or August or something like that, and I I wasn't sure if I if I should do it or not, but you. You put me onto this to give some trial runs, and I liked it. And I think there's some there's a good cause behind it, so I I, uh, I appreciate. You. I don't know I don't know if I should thank you yet, or if I uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> or or you should blame me. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Um, our history goes back uh, to Tesca. Uh, that's that's what united us. Um, but yes. Um, before that, you had to beat us a couple times, so <laughs> you you had to beat us, and then we had to bring you. But um, the 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 first encounter we had on the first season that we we really um, kind of met each other uh, in, from a distance was when you were at Olympiakos, and uh, we played you guys mm -hmm. three times in uh, the 2011-2012 season. And uh, the, yes. the, fir the first two times you guys blast, uh, we 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 blasted you guys. The second game, I don't remember the first yeah. game, but it was it was a uh, you know like a not like with without sounding too disrespectful, it was not a contest in the end of games. But no, no, not at all. I mean, it was. I re I remember the first game because um, I had like a I came off the bench and I had a pretty decent game and we were we held close and then I think the fourth quarter I think you got to blow us out but I remember one play specifically because I went drove to the left and I did a reverse layup and I know you did the scout and I remember you standing up it was like he only goes reverse he only goes reverse so I, re <laughs> I remember that specifically I don't know why but I just remember that specifically you standing at you screaming I think the Christian or or somebody uh screaming at <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was screaming a lot those days too. <laughs> but at, at the end, uh, the win the win that mattered the most, you got it. Um, you guys got it in 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 the final four in Istanbul. And I don't want to go too much into that game just because of the pains mm -hmm. that it, it caused <laughs> for uh, for for us in particular. But um, what what memories? The, the one thing that I vividly remember because I watched the game only. The final. I'm talking the final here in Istanbul at the final four um, between Cesc and Olympiakos. The one thing that stood out the most to me, besides all the things that people see on the, on TV, was the halftime in, in, in the mm -hmm. locker room because our lockers were right beside each other, and 
we I remember I think Schwed scored like a, 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 a basket towards the end of the uh, first half, and we had like we came with, with a nice little run into the half, feeling good about ourselves, and then like we go into the locker room and we just hear uh, Coach Ivkovic just bring it to you guys on the side. I mean, what what do you remember from 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 that halftime speech? I would I would call it, but any any like from that situation in particular. Um, I mean, I remember the the game um, pretty vividly. Um, you know, I, I felt that like it was like there was almost because you guys were so long. You know, you had you know Teo Schweb, you know Kropa, um, you know uh, Kristich, Sasha Khan, you know, all playing um, you know wings, um, yeah. you know, long, lengthy guys. So it just felt like there was like seven, eight. It was like five of us, and it felt like there was like eight or nine guys on the court when we played. So, you know, I remember Karolinko. So I remember, you know, you know, just the halftime, like we felt like we didn't have any answers. You know, we didn't know. That was the first time that we really challenged and like felt like we we couldn't we couldn't beat you guys. That's really what we felt like at a halftime. And I think Ikovich came in and I think it showed. I think that we came in and we were intimidated um, initially just because of the style of the way you guys played, the dominance that you have played throughout the season and the way that you guys had dominated us the, the first two, two, uh, two games of the, of the regular season. So I remember him just going ballistic and just, you know, cursing us out. And I think he was trying to get us going, um, because we were down and I, you know, I, I think you can see it, you know, if you watch back in the game, our body language, you know, just generally we were, we were just down. Um, and I remember, what kind of sparked that comeback is that, you no, know, he took Spinulis out of the game. Um, and it was right, I think, in between like that third quarter, third quarter moment we came out and he told us to just play. He said, listen, like he said, like, you know, um, you know, you guys deserve to be here. You know, um, I believe in you guys, but just go out and play. Just go out and just play basketball um, and just have fun and just play basketball. And I think that's what really just kind of sparked the comeback for us. You know, we stopped worrying so much about the results and we just went out and just played. And, you know, lucky enough for us, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, spark a comeback. Yeah, it kind of felt like you got took the jitters off you and then you just kind of like yeah. broke, the, broke broke the chains loose and, and, and went to work. Because like you said, uh, Spanulis was a big part of the preparation process and everything was focused. Yeah. And I think as much as we were focused on him, you guys were focused on him as well. And that kind of like it when it halted, it halted. But then when it once it opened up, it was I mean, Papa Nicolau didn't miss a shot that whole weekend. I think that was uh, yeah. that was, that was uh, I mean, a, a historical performance on his part. Um, but yeah, it was a 17 point lead that we ended up giving up to you guys. But you guys deserved it all. I mean, you guys showed 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 hard. And like you said, our length was our dominant factor throughout the season. If you put Kirlenko at the three, Kristich and Hriyapa uh, at the four, and then you just put the wingspans out. I mean, you can go from sideline to sideline probably. <laughs> and, I mean, and, that, and that's what happened. I remember I remember in that game, I had like a, a pick and roll layup and uh, Kira was literally on the, the left baseline. And he was, you know, the weak side defender. And he was literally almost hugged up on his man. And I caught the ball and I thought I had a, a, you know, a wide open layup. And he literally took two steps and was able to block my shot. And I'm just like, man, this is this this is unbelievable. <laughs> this, this is just a different sucks. level. <laughs> yeah, this is just a different level, man. Yeah, I mean, like, um, to be the the mentality in the U.S. may not uh, um, 
you know, like especially in the MBA, they might not process it the same way as 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 we do. But because the the mindset in the MBA schedule is different, but it's extremely mm-hmm. hard to beat the same team three times in one season in Europe, and yeah. especially after you beat the same team twice, um, like with with you know. Like I'm, I'm the, the game in Moscow stands out to me where it was like a 30 point game, I think. And I don't know if it would have been close maybe it would have been a little bit better for us mentally, but it does, psychology does play, play a role. No, oh, I remember you guys had like the record for like uh PIR during that game. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I just remember like you guys from that moment, um, you know, you guys just blew us out of the gym. Um, and like I said, I think it was like it, there was a, a intimidating factor, you know, like you said, when you come on and you see your lineup and you see the big stars that you had. Um, and for us, you know, we had a bunch of guys that were unheralded. You know, it was only Spinulis, really. Everybody else on that team was, you know, still, you know, had had hadn't really accomplished anything. You know, we're still, you know, young players still kind of coming in our own. Um, and, you know, that game is basically what kind of, you know, helped you know, spear a lot of our careers and help put us in, you know, the position that you look at, you know, some of those guys, so Lucas, Brindisi's, Papa Nicolau, Antich, um, you know, all those guys, you know, that game is really what kind of, you know, gave us a lot of a boost in a lot of our careers. Yeah, we uh, we helped creating a monster there. <laughs> but yeah. and, I, and I, I tell my friends, funny enough, the story is, is that like, we won the title that, you know, we won the title that weekend. But um, none of our, I think, I think only our American players only scored four points. I didn't, I scored two points that whole entire final four. And that weekend, you know, changed my career. I think I came in and I was the second leading scorer or something like that. You know, as Americans, we're all stat driven. So it's all about like stats, stats, stats. And the thing I took away, you know, like I said, obviously I was happy we won the title and won the championship. But the thing I took away was like, you know, the, the collective championship, the collective goal is bigger than your individual stats. Like people are not going to remember how many points I scored or AC Law scored or Spanula scored in that game. They're going to remember that we won the game. And me taking away, that kind of changed my whole mentality about like just European basketball and just basketball in general. Yeah, I, I bet. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to dig into that, uh, especially going digging yeah. back to your Bamberg times. But now that we got this final four out the way, <laughs> we can move yeah. on. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, like going into your personal, um, your personality in, in particular, you always stood out to me with a person being a person with a high value system. And I was always wondering okay. what, what that stem, stems from, because you, it doesn't, you've been winning throughout your career, um, you know, like from college to, to Europe, all levels. And it didn't see. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to change you. And uh, for people who don't know you, it's not a front. I mean, you're you're honestly, truly a humbled and and straightforward guy that that has uh, good intent in mind every time you, Thank you. you Thank encounter you. So, um, you. so I was wondering, where does that originate from? Where does that is that from the humble beginnings, uh, from being a small in 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 a, in a mid level, um, uh, mid tier college. Or is that is is that something in your past and your family that brought you that 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 taught you those 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 values? What is it? Um, I think initially it stems from my parents and you know my grandparents. Um, you know they they just always taught me. Um, you know the rest of you know my siblings and you know my cousins and everybody that we have to remain humble. Um, you know that in a moment's notice, you know these things or different things that you have accomplished can you know can be taken away. So no matter what the situation recalls from, you have to remain humble. Um, you have to remain you know keep working hard. Um, you know keep putting your head down and, and continue to grind. You know, my, like I said, my grandparents, you know, they, 
none of them had, you know, both of them uh, dropped out of school and high school, but they were able to kind of, you know, continue to, you know, pave my, you know, our family on the way to, um, to bigger and better things. And, you know, the same with, you know, my dad, you know, from a young age, you know, I watched both my parents, you know, put it in the work to, you know, for them to, you know, get to where they wanted to put our family. So I think from that, um, that's where I kind of gotten that, you know, that kind of discipline and that kind of like that kind of humble beginnings, I guess you can say. And then also, um, I was a late bloomer. Um, you know, I didn't have the, the, uh, the, the, I wasn't the A-list. I wasn't the top. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, the top player. I wasn't, you know, um, at any really point of my, I guess, basketball career. You know, I came from, you know, I come from a small town. I went to a small town high school. I went to a small town college. So I always kind of came with the, the approach that um, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, you know, like, you know, this right here is just like, this is just, you know, this is like kind of the icing on the cake for me. Um, so I always kind of, you know, try to enjoy the moment and try to, you know, enjoy the process and just enjoy the journey rather than, you know, trying to be celebratory or rather than, you know, trying to, I guess you say, you know, rub it in people's face or trying to be, you know, this, you know, Barato type figure. Um, for me, it was like, I, I'm literally sometimes I'm just shocked and amazed that I'm here. And sometimes, you know, I'm just like literally just happy to be here because, you know, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'll be able to accomplish half the things, you know, or be able to see half the things that I've seen, um, you know, throughout this, this, this journey in my basketball career. Yeah, like sounds like you really cherish it. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's, it's really something that I think a lot of lot of players um, take it for granted, especially um, considering health. I mean, I, I had to stop early on a lower level because of health, and I mm -hmm. always I always envy envy guys who are um, maximizing their 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 health and careers, and don't take it for granted. You know, it's it's a huge it's it's a huge process and a huge um, you know it, it takes it takes a little bit of of emotional intelligence to understand that you really have this capability and this chance of a lifetime to be a professional basketball player until a certain age because at some point it's going to be over and then it's you know like stops for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I realized that early on because my, my dad was, you know, in professional football um, and his career, you know, pretty much ended at, you know, once he couldn't, you know, he went to a couple of training camps and, then, you know, I realized from a, a young age that, you know, this eventually stops. Um, so, like you said, you have to cherish it, you know, while you have it. And then for me also, you know, growing up where I grew up at, you know, there's a million players that are probably just as good or probably better than me. And I know there's a bunch of people that would want to trade spots with me, you know, that want to be in my position. If, you know, maybe if one or two things didn't go right in my life, you know, I would probably, you know, be in a different position than I am now. So I don't take that for granted. So it's like, you know, every day, you know, while I, I have this opportunity every day while I'm here, I try to I try to uh, make the most of it. So when you were watching your father, you understood already that that, that things could change or end abruptly? Right. Yeah, I mean, my dad, my dad did a great job of like, he always, you know, was very honest and very truthful and very transparent about, you know, what was going on. Um, you know, still to this day, he has a box of, of letters and majority of them are like rejection letters. Because back in the day, you know, you would have to write, you know, to teams and, you know, send your scouting tape. And, you know, basically, if you didn't have an agent, you know, basically ask teams, you know, if you, you want to come to tryouts and stuff like that. So, you know, he has a box of letters from, you know, every NFL team or every at the time it was USFL team, you know, of rejection. 
Um, and, you know, when I was younger, I would literally just sit there and I would just read these letters. And, you wow. know, um, at first I was just fascinated because, you know, the team, my dad's name is on letters from, you know, the teams that I see on TV. But then I would just ask them questions. And then I was fortunate enough to that. You know, I was around um, a bunch of, you know, professional athletes. Um, and I just literally was just asking them, ten, asking them questions and kind of soaking up the knowledge. And I kind of seen, you know, how their careers went and how, like you said, you know, one day you're at the top and then, you know, the next day, you know, you can literally, you know, just be, you know, just back, back where you started. So, yeah, you, you never know. So that's why it's so important to really uh, grasp, grasp what's going mm -hmm. on. But so your, your father played football and you chose basketball. Why? What's, yeah. what's the path? Um, basketball initially was my, was my worst sport. Um, so initially how, how I kind of gotten my athletic, um, I guess the athletic start, um, was karate. Um, I grew up and I was kind of like an uncoordinated kind of like bow-legged type of kid. So, you know, my dad had heard story or one of his friends, it was like, you know, you should put your child in karate. So from the age of five to 10, my dad said the only sport that I can do was karate. So I got, he said, I couldn't do anything else until I got my black belt. So from five to 10, um, I got, uh, I got my black belt and basically that's all I did. I just did karate. And I think that's where I got, um, just to say, I guess where I got my discipline from, um, my work ethic from, because literally it was like, you know, I was the youngest of the youngest in my class. Um, and I was, you know, always the youngest, you know, everywhere we went. Um, but like my dad was like, listen, you have to do this is the only, if you want to play basketball, if you want to play football, if you want to play baseball, then you have to do this. Um, so then after I got my black belt, um, I started playing football because, you know, like, like any kid, you want to be like your dad. So I was, you know, playing football and I was really good at football. Um, and I just did basketball just as, cause my friends did it. Um, and then in eighth grade, the, I told the story before, but it's kind of like that, the Michael Jordan story. I didn't make the eighth grade basketball team. Um, I got, I mean, admittedly, so I wasn't that good. So I probably shouldn't have made the team at all. Um, and then like, you know, this, then this, because I don't know what it was, but because I wasn't good at basketball and it didn't come naturally to me, I was like, I'm just going to dedicate all my time to basketball. So I stopped playing football and I literally was like, I'm going to become good at basketball. And I told, I told my dad and I told my mom, I was like, this is the last time I'm ever going to be cut from a team again. And I literally just dedicated all my focus and time in, in, in basketball and then the rest is, you know, kind of, kind of is what it is. Yeah, it's history for sure. Yeah, history is still still being written. Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's a fun fact. Uh, Kyle Hines is a black belt in karate. That's 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 a yeah. good cocktail story yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so um, you know, like we talked about the value system and your humble humble beginnings, but that's that strikes me, and I wanted wanted was wondering your opinion because there's a lot of talk between ego and pride and how much is yeah. necessary to succeed because obviously it's not it's not a given or it's not really a necessity to have ego and, and be a winner but how much what's the difference for you between pride and ego and 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 taking pride in what you do um i mean i think you have to have a happy balance to both i mean listen i mean every athlete has an ego i mean you wouldn't be where you're at 
you know, if you didn't have an ego, if you didn't feel like you were the best or, you know, at your position, or if you didn't feel like you were the best, you know, if you didn't have, you know, this, you know, this, this mentality that, you know, that you're the, the best at it. So you have to have this ego. Um, but at the same time, like you said, you have to have this sense of pride where you have to have a sense of pride in yourself, sense of pride of, you know, where, where you came from, sense of pride of your, your family, sense of pride in your craft. Um, because you can't have you you can't have one without the other, you know you can't have a big ego but not care about you know putting in the work every day or, or caring about your craft or caring about you know the your, your team. So to me, I think you have to have a, a happy balance of both because it's it's necessary. Um, and I think in order for you to be a winner, um, you know I think you have to have some type of ego because usually your ego is what separates you from, um, you know being. I guess you can say like everybody else and, you know, winning a championship or winning a title um, is difficult. It's one of the most difficult things, you know, that you can, you know, possibly accomplish. And that's why, you know, people celebrate so much when they do win them. So I'm a firm believer that you must have an ego, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it, pride is what gets you there and pride is what takes you there. So I think you have to have a happy balance of both. Yeah, that's that's one that's a really good um, takeaway because like there's I think I, I, I think you're right. I mean it's a mix of both. Mm -hmm. um, the yeah. one thing that like one thing that stood out to me that I learned from from uh, Coach Messina was respect your work. You know, like you respect yes. respect what you do. Go come to work, trust the process, put it put the work in, and do it with pride. And then automatically, you know, you groom you groom confidence, you groom success. And then I think there's a like it should be a healthy part of your ego that's not disrespectful to your teammates, but the ego exactly. that kind of kind of holds where you hold your own. I don't like to compare the fact that when you like go to the weight room and a and a, and a hot hot lady walks in and and you start like <laughs> lifting lifting yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but that's 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 kind of I mean it's not the same obviously, but but no. You, you obviously when you get challenged and you feel like you have to prove your worth that's when, you the, to, when that's when it steps in yeah you have to be able to raise to the raise to the to the challenge you know that the ego comes into play when you know it's you versus your man and you're basically saying like you're not going to score or 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 you're on the other end and you're like this guy can't guard me or you know if it's you know your team needs a big play and you have to step up and make a big play that's where the ego comes in but at the same time like i said your pride allows you to get to that point i mean really all ego is is just confidence if you have you know to me if you have a, a extreme sense of confidence um then but I think pride is what makes that confidence warranted because sometimes people have uh, confidence without, I guess, substance. I guess that that makes sense. Yeah. Some people have too much confidence, but they didn't necessarily put in the work to really get it. So there's no really it's like hollow. I guess you can say there's nothing, you know, there's no foundation. But like I said, if you if you take pride in what you do, then, you know, then that ego or that confidence is is, is, is full, it's warranted. So that's the reason why you're able to do it. So, I mean, like you said, I think one of the things that I learned the most from, you know, um, Coach Messina is just just professionalism and and take pride in your work every day, every single day. Like you have to bring it every single day. And that's what he's a stickler of. You know, you can't you can't take a day off because the moment you take a day off, the moment that you relax, that's the moment that somebody else is going to come and either take your spot or, you know, something else will happen. I, I learned that the most from Messina and I learned that the most from Coach Atutis. 
Um, you know, one of the things he says every day is that you have to respect the game. The moment that you don't respect the game, that's usually when bad things happen. If you don't respect, you know, your, you know, your assignment, if you don't respect your opponent, if you don't respect, you know, that, 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 that giving day, that's usually when, you know, usually when bad things occur. So, you know, I, or injuries those two, too. those two injuries or anything, anything can occur. Usually that the day where you're like, you know, you're kind of like, you know, going, you know, going half speed or, or those type of things. That's usually when you're at, you're at your worst. So um, I, I, I take the, I take take away from those two individuals the most when, when it comes to, like you said, respect and pride and also also your ego. Yeah, that, there we go again, not taking things for granted, but also like just applying yourself and applying your professionalism yeah. to the craft. Um, but that's like Greek mytho- Greek uh, philosophers talk about the hubris, you know, like the overweening mm-hmm. pride part that where you have too much pride and it's like there's no substance behind it. You just think that you're overconfident and, and you, you're you you're capable of doing anything. That's when you usually um, lose. You know, that's when you draw. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's when you're fade out, basically. Yeah. You, when you're usually humble, somebody usually comes and humbles you, whether it's the yep. game or a person or just life in general. Exactly. Exactly. So so the the transition from the States to Europe for the first time, I'm curious about that. I mean, you you went into a small, small town, I would say, Veroli, and you I don't know if you if the contract situation uh, held you there for two years or if you chose to stay there for two years. But I would like to know what it what it was like to to embrace the culture, new culture in in the small town, and then afterwards to go to Bamberg, also another small town, and yeah. what 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 the community was like, what what it was like for for the first time to come over to Europe into a small community and experience that. I mean, well, compared to Verily, Bamberg is like New York City, so <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a small town to me when I when I got there. But to to circle back, um, like I said, I, I really didn't know much about Verily. You know, at the time I tried to Google as much, but you know, back in 2008, you know, I don't even know if, if Wikipedia was, you know, as extensive or or Google was extensive barely, as it barely. is now. Yeah. Barely. I think it was like there were there were some things, but I don't think it was, you know, a large, um, extensive, you know, you know, amount of information. Um, but, um, really it was, uh, I trusted Trinkiri. Um, you know, I had met him. I mean, I told the story a thousand times. I met him in Vegas and, you know, my, my, my whole wholehearted intentions was to go to the, the D league or the G league at the time. You know, I was, you know, NBA or bust. I wasn't even thinking about overseas. And then I met him and, and um, the first day I hop off the plane, um, I get to Rome and I'm like, wow, Rome is amazing. And then we keep driving. And we keep driving and driving. <laughs> and then suddenly we make this turn and we're going up this mountain. And it's literally like um, the cartoons where, you know, you go up a mountain and you're going in the circle and a circle and a circle and a circle around. That's literally what it was like. So we, we get to the top of the hill and this is this is Verily. You know, Verily is, a, you know, a small village at the time. It was maybe 5,000 people, five 6,000 people that lived in the entire village. And literally it was almost like you were going back into time um it was almost like uh like the in the godfather movie where uh i can't think of the main character's name where he goes he gets sent away to italy and he's living like in this uh this this like you know villa in the yep. middle of nowhere this is what barely was you know you go and you know there's you know wild goats there's wild horses there's dogs you know running around um, you know, people, you're still going to the watering hole to get water for, you know, for their laundry. You know, there was, you know, it, it was, it was like me almost going back into time. Um, but, um, 
the fortunate thing for me was that Trinkiri, he helped me out so much. Um, uh, he literally basically, you know, basically almost babysat me for the first like week or two. He took me to the grocery store. He made sure, you know, I had different things. He made sure, um, you know, he walked me down every aisle to, you know, make sure I had what I needed. Um, and then I had an older veteran by the name of Jerome Allen um, on the team. And he, uh, Boston, Boston Celtics, Celtics you know, assistant. <laughs> Boston, yeah, Boston Celtics assistant. Um, and literally I would go to dinner with him every night and he taught me how to be a professional. Um, he taught me how to be a professional basketball player. Literally. Um, he taught me the, basically the ins and outs. And I think if it wasn't for him, I don't know how I would survive. He basically told me, he told me some advice that I don't even know if he remembers because, you know, he tells so much, you know, great things and he's always speaking so many, you know, so many great gems. But he basically told me is like, you know, once you go overseas, um, don't don't think about home. Forget about home. See, a lot of a lot of things what, what guys do is when they go overseas, they compare everything to home. You know, they compare everything to, you know, what I was doing at home. And he was like, you know, just forget about home this is where you're at now and make the best of your situation here. Remember what your end goal is and make the best of your situation. So from that moment on, I fully embraced um, living in Verily. You know, I was going to dinner with, you know, people in the town. Um, I was going to the coffee houses. You know, I was learning Italian. Um, so I was doing everything. So fortunate enough for me, I had a great group of teammates. I had a great coach. Um, and, and they kind of gave me the foundation for me to, you know, be successful. So, um, to speak on the contract situation, um, I liked it so much my first year. I only had a one-year contract, but I liked it so much my first year that I re-signed to come back. Um, and I decided I wanted to come back because I felt that I needed another year to develop um, in the league. And I felt like the league gave me an opportunity to develop. It gave me opportunities to um, play through my mistakes and gave me opportunity to learn how to play European basketball. So, um like you said, I went through my two years there um, and then I felt I was ready to, you know, to make the jump. Um, initially, my goal was I wanted to play first league Italy. That was my only goal, because when I was in second league, I had seen Siena, I had seen Rome, I had seen Treviso, I had seen, you know, all these great teams, Milano, and I wanted to be a part. Um, and then I met Chris Fleming and I met Brandon, Brandon Rooney. Um, and, you know, they, they, they spoke somewhat highly about Bamberg and I seen their roster and they gave me an opportunity to play EuroLeague, um, which was, you know, a unique, you know, a total unique situation to come from second division Italy to play EuroLeague within, you know, that time. So um, I went to Bamberg and, you know, lucky for me, um, it was an amazing situation. You know, Bamberg is probably one of the, I would say, best programs. Um, in all of Europe. Um, and I think they don't get a lot of credit for the amount of players that they have developed, um, you know, over the course, you know, of the last, like I said, the last decade. But I went there and I, and I learned so much and I was able to, you know, basically, like I said, my first three years helped build my foundation as a basketball player, as a person. And I've kind of been basically just been using those those tools that I learned those past three years, um, my first three years to basically have the success that I've had over my career so far. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great um, story right there because Jerome mm -hmm. that's that served served as a mentor for you in that uh, in that yeah. situation, and that's what mentors do. They they really help you to guide your your mentality to put you on the right track because you're right. A lot of lot of Americans come in and they start comparing. And I was I was fortunate enough to also start at a at a you know second division level in in Germany, mm -hmm. and once I turned to be an assistant, it was you know I, I I found it to be important to 
give the American players comfort when they arrive. I think the first yeah. two weeks, three weeks to a month are so important. They can make Our or break the player. And, and it's the welcoming. It's the uh, like having a fridge full when he arrives, uh, mm -hmm. showing him the shopping. Like you said, like I think like what Trinkieri did and what Jerome did to you was the the best the best help you could receive at that time because it god knows if you would have uh, landed somewhere else how how your mindset would have been um not being able to adapt to that situation um yeah, yeah. i mean I, i absolutely agree i absolutely agree i mean they I, i'm thankful every day um every time i see jerome um you know I, i'm thankful for him because he's 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 given me so much, like, you know, just like I said, not even basketball, but just life gems, just, you know, just talking about life. Like there's so many times that we would just sit there and I would just listen to him. And I mean, I don't know if he knows it, but he's had such a big impact, you know, or, on my career and on my life just in general. Yeah. Then once once you transitioned to Bamberg and you went into mm -hmm. a bigger, bigger team, I mean, it's a year. It was a year. It was a year league team at that time for for for. Uh, and it was one of the best programs, like you said. At, with with the players that they had and it was you you, you came and had um let's let's call it bigger players uh, around you like by the names of casey jacobson being one of them yeah um how did you can't come to the realization of of uh finding your role and finding your niche and and understanding that what what your role is on a bigger team and how can you really help that team in in in, in, in that situation I mean, it, initially it was difficult because um, that was my first time going to a team where I wasn't the best player on the team, where that everything went through me. You know, that that happened in high school, you know, in college and, you know, my first two years. So I was going to a team where they really needed me to kind of fulfill the role. They had won German League Championship the year before. They had majority of the guys coming back. Um, so they really just wanted me to kind of, you know, fill this role. And I would say the first two or three weeks, I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. Um, and I don't know if Chris or Brandon would ever, you know, tell the story, but I was, I was terrible. Like terrible I didn't. As, as a I, player or, or mentality a, wise? Uh, all three. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't so much like I was like, uh, like, you know, throwing my hands up or like, you know, complaining, but I just didn't, I just didn't understand and didn't grasp the, the role. Um, because it's something that was so foreign to me. Um, and I think that because I was playing this new role that I was overthinking everything and because my mentality was off, my game was off. So I wasn't able to, you know, play the way I needed to play. So, you know, it took some time. Um, but once I kind of, you know, understood, you know, how to play and understood what my role needed to be, um, I was able to thrive there. Um, and I think, I mean, like I said, I think, Bamberg taught me how to play a big player on a big, how to be a player on a big team. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not always, it's not always going to be your night. You know, some nights you may get the ball a lot. Some nights you may score a lot. You know, some nights you may not get the ball at all. But, you know, if you're asked to play a specific role, then you have to, you know, be the best at your role. And I think that's something that Chris taught me. Chris Fleming taught me, um, you know, he, he, he basically taught me, he was like, man, you can be, you can be really good. But you have to hone in on on specific things, and if you hone in on these specific things, then you can be you know you could be absolutely amazing. So, like I said, I, I took a lot of what he taught me, and I tried to incorporate it in my game. And you know, lucky enough for me, um, you know, I was able to you know be well, play well, and be successful there. 
I, th I think it's it's fair to say that you're a very specific player type um, in in, yeah. in terms of like on on offense on on defense you have lots of versatility but on on offense it's a very specific player type and at that time even earlier there, it's it was hard to apply your skills to s the systems that the coaches were running at that time and I think. Yeah. Chris, Chris was one of the like. I mean, Andrea and Chris it probably like they they figured figured out really quickly. They figured it out how yeah. how to use it. But you know who was the the Kyle Heinz before Kyle Heinz, in in oh. in, in in Germany, and it was like, I think he was he's a little bit um, shorter than you. It was Jeff Gibbs? Yeah, Jeff Gibbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Gibbs. Um, I, I heard his name a lot. I forget what team he played for. Was it like he played was for Um or Um Bremerhaven? Um, yeah, Bremerhaven. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, yeah. So I, I think we had played. I think we had played against him, and everybody told me like he was, you know, he was like very similar to me. Um, even before there was a guy in uh, in second league Italy who was like an undersized center. His name was Joe Bun. Um, I don't even know if you know this name, but he he was very similar, and I tried to watch them. Um, but like, and to go back when so Trinchetti kind of planted the Euroleague bug early in my head. So even when he was there, he was giving me players and kind of giving me assignments to watch. So he was nice. like, hey, I want you Panthenagos plays tonight. I want you to watch Mike Patisse or, you know, uh, Rome plays tonight. I want you to watch Andre Hudson nice. or, you know, watch these players and watch specifically. And, and this is how I learned. I literally learned by, you know, watching the players that were better than me. And that's how I think I got better. Um, and I think for me, it was that, I didn't understand what my type was like. I thought I was a scorer because I had scored all these points in college. You know, I you know scored a lot of points in Italy. Um, so I'm coming in. And I'm like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You want me to run the pick and roll? No, give me the ball. I'm a <laughs> I'm, I'm a scorer. I'm, like I'm this the is the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy. Like, uh, give me the ball. I'm a scorer. And like, I I always make this joke. Like, you 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 think you're a scorer until you're around some real scores. Yeah. So yeah. once I got around, like. Brian Roberts and I got around uh, Casey Jacobson and I got around, you know, like I thought I was a good post player and I got around Paige of shoe poop, like these type of guys. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm yeah. I, I, okay. I'm just going to set this pick and I'm going to go roll. It, <laughs> I'm going to go dive and <laughs> and something. I think, I think it was Chris, but somebody, somebody once told me when I was in Germany, it was like, usually um, players don't define their roles. The team usually defines the role for the players. And, that's basically what happened. Um, you know, my role was basically defined and, and I found that I would have the most success, you know, when I started picking and roll and I started picking and diving, when I started learning how to use the short roll, when I started learning how to run the floor, that's when I was like, it, it, it made it so much easier because I was getting, you know, 10 points or 11 points, you know, just off of just pick and roll rather than me trying to beat my man off the dribble and do some crazy move or some crazy yeah. something. So it taught me, it taught me so much. Yeah. Adapt, adapted your game to the situation you yes. were in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So was was that like the first first appearances of the Callahan short roll and the pocket passes you received? Um, yeah, because really, literally the 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 guys from uh from Bamberg, Chris, um, Anjay, um, Stefan, um, we would literally work on it. I didn't never play the short roll. I never really worked played the pocket pass or played in these before. But literally, you know, one of the drills that he would do um was that they would bring a whole bunch of obstacles and. Um, throw them in the paint 
And, you know, we would do the pick and they would run the pick and roll and I would catch the ball and I had to get around these obstacles to score, score baskets and stuff, different things like that. So like they really, literally broke down the details, the small details to the game. And we just did repetition over and over again. And like I said, eventually I was able to kind of pick, pick up the, you know, the pick and roll game and, and, and learn how to play the pick and roll, the short roll, the pocket passes, uh, um, well, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great way of. I mean, Stefan Stefan is one of the best. I mean, you can't. Man, he's amazing. Can't he's argue amazing. with that. Um, but then you you let's talk a little bit about your uh, captain duties because I know there's there's a lot of lot of uh, responsibility that comes with that, and mm -hmm. in in terms like on the different teams you were on, and I think just general leadership. It's it's been talked about a lot, but I would rather focus on. How, how do you as a captain address or resolve conflicts that uh, yeah. arise during the season, during, you know, ruts that teams go on sometimes and you, you know, those dark days, sometimes like January, February, sometimes it's just, it's just, it can get, it can get rough. So like, I know there's also, uh, this, the problem didn't exist 10 years uh, ago. Uh, not to that extent where, you know, guys isolate themselves or like the phone, the social media aspect. How do you, how do you navigate that when you see it, it's maybe becoming a problem when the player is isolating himself or how do you, how do you deal with, with general conflicts that arise out of that? Um, I think, first of all, I mean, you have to understand that, you know, the personalities dynamics of the locker room, you have to understand, you know, you know, who reacts to what, um, you know, who, um, has a full, you know, full understanding of certain things. Um, you have to understand, you know, who's going to be emotional about certain things, you know, how to reach the guys um, the best way. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, it may just be kind of like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Sometimes it may just be, um, you know, you challenging the guy in practice. Sometimes it may be, you know, you may have to yell or scream at, you know, at, at somebody. Um, sometimes it may be a group dynamic. Um, whereas like the whole team is in a rut and, you know, sometimes you just may just need to just have some fun. Um, I mean, I guess the best story I can, I kind of can tell from that is, you know, when Cheska in 2019, um, you know, we were in, we were in a bad situation. You know, we had lost like three or four games in a row. We had a, a terrible January, February, you know, January, February in Moscow is already difficult just to be around <laughs> the atmosphere, just to be around. It's, It's crazy. So, you know, coach was on us, you know, and, and guys weren't having fun. Like we lost the joy of basketball. Like we literally lost the, you know, the feeling of why we wanted to play. So, you know, I, I basically talked to our assistant uh, captain at the time, um, which is Andre Vonsevich. And I basically told him, I was like, listen, like, you know, and I told the coach, I was like, listen, like, you know, instead of having practice today, can we get out of practice early? And we're, I'm just going to take the guys to dinner. So we literally just went to dinner um and initially when we went to the dinner and i tried to make it where um you know guys usually the usual clicks weren't sitting next to each other so that way it opened Break up it the up. dialogue it opened up the conversation and we were literally just started you know initially everybody was kind of you know everybody was quiet and everybody was you know like this but you know after we started eating and then you know we had a few glasses of wine and then you know next thing you know the the conversation started flowing. You know, we started, you know, started to kind of get in some joy and we started kind of building, you know, that chemistry, that camaraderie that you need as a team. We started playing, you know, these like drinking games and we started doing all this little, all these little different things that, you know, that may not matter on the court that you may not see from the outside looking in, but it mattered to us. 
So, you know, we started doing these little things and, you know, next thing you know, after the dinner, you know, we leave the dinner, everybody, you know, was hungover and you know, all that other stuff. But the next day we ended up having our best practice, the best practice that we had the whole entire year. Everybody's communicating, everybody's on the floor talking, you know, everybody, it was just a full different, it was, it felt like a different moment and a different, like a, a totally different team. Yeah, literally. I'm getting, literally. And then, I'm getting goosebumps. And then, <laughs> and then the, and then that week, we went to Barcelona, which at the time was going to be it was supposed to be a difficult game for us. We went in and we beat Barcelona in Barcelona. And it all basically stemmed from, you know, that dinner. And we all say, you know, if you talk to literally anybody on that team, that was like the turning point of our season. It wasn't so much about us practicing more. It wasn't so much. It was just literally that guys just needed an escape. They just needed, you know, something to something different. And whether it was escape from home, whether it was escape from the gym, they just needed that one night. And that one night brought us together. And like I said, it, 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 it changed our whole entire season. So that way, next time we dealt with adversity, we were like, oh, man, this is nothing. You know, this is nothing. We have each other. We have each other's backs. And that helped, you know, help jumpstart us to, you know, to eventually winning the yearly that year. Unbelievable. Who, who knows how the season would have yeah. turned out if that if not for that one dinner? I mean, it's it's, it's yeah, uh, exactly, awkward. man. It, it could it could be something that small and like you said i mean and, and and that's the difference in in team and in team buildings because at the end of the day it's 15 or you know with the coaching staff it's 20 different individuals 20 different individuals going through 20 different problems and 20 different people with those 20 different problems solving it 20 different ways yeah so sometimes you need to kind of escape that and just bring everybody together and like i said just throw all the problems on the table put everything on the table just be transparent and then you wipe away clean at a clean slate and then everybody moves on that's a that's a good point you make this one one of the first things i learned in in college and my uh, communication studies was truth like we discussed truth yeah. And everybody has their own side of truth. Everybody, because of yeah. their own different experiences, their own path of how they got there, how they grew up. So there's not one way to solve the problem. It's a collective way of solving a problem. And that's only way to do the only way to do it is by addressing it, being transparent, like you say, and and just like letting your guard down and being able yeah. to to be vulnerable with each other in a close environment. It doesn't go out to the public but it stays yeah. in the locker room. And I think a lot of people underestimate the fact of like chemistry of being able to, to, to find each other. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be with every team. Not every team has to have it, yeah. but uh, if you do have it, it makes you harder to like a lot harder to beat and probably paves your way for the, I could, I could, I could give you another prime example. We, and we're, you know, right now um, we're coming off of playing our best stretch of basketball that we've played um, probably throughout the whole entire year. And I would, uh, I would probably give credit or credit that to, we were the beginning of January or however long it goes. We got stuck in Madrid for five days. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we were in the hotel for five days. So during those five days, and because now we're in this COVID area, this COVID protocol area where, you know, that we're, we can't do as many gatherings or as many team stuff outside of the gym that we usually can do. But, um, you know, during those five days, we were going, we were had dinner at the hotel. We knew we couldn't go anywhere. So we were having dinner at the hotel. We were sitting in a lobby where, and I guess alcohol is always involved, but we were sitting in a lobby. We were drinking wine. You know, we were, you know, telling stories. You know, we, we were building like inside jokes and different things like that. And I, I'm a firm believer that, that those five days, you know, made our bond stronger. And I think that's the big reason why we were able, why we're playing better 
because I feel like, you know, we trust each other more. I feel like everybody knows each other more. So like, if you know the person next to you, then I feel like, you know, you're going to go the extra length for them more. Um, and, and like I said, I think that's just a, another story, another small antidote. Like, you know, we got stuck in Madrid for five days, but I think that, you know, put us in a better position than, you know, from the outside looking and then people be like, oh man, y'all were stuck. But like I said, I think that gave us, you know, opportunity to, you know, come together. And like I said, now we're, we're, we're in our best possible position that we've been all year. Yeah. You, you make the, you have to make the best out of the situation. And, and with that, with that being, with you guys being stuck in Madrid, let's not jinx it of, of the, the, the full no. picture of it, yeah. but it definitely, <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't have to be a make or break dinner or make or break uh, situation, but it, yeah. it's definitely a, a building block towards the championship. Exactly. And and exactly. I think that's what it needs to be taken for of, of, and being appreciated by the players. It's another big thing where everybody, again, understands the significance of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, that then I am a, a, like a social media justice warrior. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I just came up with that term today. And we I, are, I think, I think we, aren't we all to some, to some certain extent. <laughs> um, but such social media keeps haunting me and, and for good and bad, but it is like, I am aware of what it does. And I'm always curious of what it does to the players because I'm not even in the realm of 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 what you guys have to go through, the attention yeah. you have to you guys have to endure, this, the messages you guys get, um, DMs before games, after games. How do you manage? Because I think that's an aspect of mental health as well to be able to differentiate what's what's necessary, what's not necessary, what's important, what's not important. How do you distance yourself from it, especially on game day? What are the what are the things you 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 the, the rules you draw for yourself in terms of engaging with social media and direct messages? I mean, you have to have. I mean, social media is it is what it is. It's 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 theater. I mean, it's if you really want to you know and 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 break it down, really what it is, it's really theater. Um, and you have to have a filter, um, a good personal filter. Um, you know, what you allow in, what you understand is real, what you understand, you know, is fake, what you understand is just, you know, somebody trolling you trying to get um, a reaction out of you. Um, for me, I, I look at social media as a tool. Um, I look at it as, you know, an opportunity to me to connect with people, to to get to know people better, to understand people. Um, it's a great way to, especially now with, you know, with COVID, um, it's a great way for, for me to connect with the fans. Um, you know, usually, you know, I would be able to see the fans every Sunday or every yearly game or every Thursday and Friday, but it's a great way to connect with the fans. Um, but then also, you know, it's a great motivational tool too, because when you're, you know, not playing well and, you know, you're, people are sending you messages and stuff like that. Like, I'm just like anybody else, you know, I save some, I save the messages when people send me like, I'm playing like crap or like, you know, this, that, and the other, I save those. And, you know, the moment that, you know, some of the moments where, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm like, Oh man, I don't want to go to practice today. Or, oh man, I'm not doing this. I scroll and I look at those messages and they give me motivation to you really know, to do want huh? to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of guys do, I think if you know, they do don't tell you, I think they're lying. Cause I think everybody reads their social messages and everybody wants to be, you know, looked at, you know, in a good light. But I mean, obviously that's, that's, you know, everybody has an opinion and sometimes your opinion, their opinion isn't going to be liked, but I, I definitely do. Um, you know, after every game, I mean, I, I check messages, you know, it's just, it's just something I do. I don't know why it's just something I do. Um, 
But I mean, that's just how I did. This is how I, I guess I am. Like for me, I, I, I have a good enough filter. I understand. I know what's real and what's fake. Um, but sometimes I think everybody, you want to see what people's opinions about you are. Um, and I think we're all guilty of that, you know, sometimes. But as far as like me trying to, I guess, step away from um, social media during times, like for me, I only check Twitter uh, once, once a week. Once a week, um, because once a week, because usually leading up to game days, I don't check, I don't check Twitter at all. Um, I kind of leave Twitter alone. I only usually check it like after a game, like on you know the next day, and I usually use that next day to kind of catch up on different things. Because I feel like for me, Twitter is the most uh, antagonist, yeah. I guess you can say, uh, site. You know, if you can catch yourself, you know, responding to people or coming back to people. Um, so I try to stay away from that, try to stay from away that. And sometimes Twitter can also boost your ego, too. It can make you feel better or look better or, you know, than you actually are. Um, Instagram, um, I'm on Instagram, but I try to limit myself, you know, maybe an hour or two a day or if I'm in the training room or if I'm doing something, I'm idle. Then I look at it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't respond to every message. Um, I, I just respond to the ones that I feel that are genuine and are authentic. Um, but like I said, I think the best advice that I would tell people is, you know, you use social media. Don't let social media use you. Use it as a tool, you know, for for the betterment of yourself. And that's that's my advice. I give to all body. Everybody don't get wrapped up into it, because, I mean, just like anything else, I mean, it, it can be it could be something that could be uh, useful, but it can also be something that can that can hurt you in the same way. That's uh, my sentence you stole there, but I guess it's out there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, use, yeah. I use that. I use that all the time. I, I, yeah. I like, I'm not letting social media use me. I, I hope I'm not, but I, I am trying to use it to, to an extent, you know, to one extent or the other. But two things I jotted down that I would like to follow up on. I think that the, 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 the messages you save or the comments you read or screenshots you take, it reminded me of the letters that your, the rejection letters your father got. And mm -hmm. it kind of seems like it's the same little motivational thing that you that you are chasing after, or like that you use as motivation. Yeah, I mean it's it's exactly that. I mean I I use that as as kind of like an inner motivation. Yeah. Um, sometimes consciously, but sometimes also subconsciously. Um, you know, sometimes in the back of my head, like I remember, I like I said, I and I'm weird this way, but I remember in the fourth grade when a kid told me that I that I, I couldn't dribble with my left hand. I remember like in the sixth grade when somebody said, like, you know, I I I I wasn't the best basketball player on my on my street. Like I remember these things, and these are the things that, like I said, that I kind of store in my my hard drive, um, and I keep. And you know, like I said, when there's moments and there's times that I feel like I need it. Um, I pull it out and, you know, and this is the thing that's going to get me locked in for the day. So that's that's the time where I was yelling that he only does reverse and, and spins and reverses. And like I, said, I remember <laughs> I, I, exactly like it's weird. But like these are the things that I remember. Like I remember these like, OK, he only says I can do reverse. OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to show like so <laughs> that is that is the I guess that's the ego. Like we talk about that's the yeah, ego. He yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But that's like the Jordan documentary, right? Or like the the the, the last yeah. dance documentary. I mean, you use everything as motivation. You use it. Use it. Either either it's going to work against you or for you, and it's it's on on your on your um, sense of reality, I guess, of how much you understand of what what the message is really about. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody uses it, and if they don't, they're lying to you. Everybody uses yeah. you know motivation or use some type of you know something to kind of motivate them. I mean, that's just that's just how we're just built. How you know how human beings are wired. 
And that's, uh, I think, I think um, I want, I would like to move on from that, from, from, from yeah. these, these, these nuances and talk to about other nuances that I, yeah. <laughs> I, I am a nuanced guy. I like, I like nuance. Yes. So yes. Um, I think that's what most interesting. And I think that if we talk about the relationships that we just talked about uh, between amongst the players and what it takes, I think that the nuance and the little the relationship between the players and the assistant coaches, not necessarily the head coach because it's a different dynamic, but the the relationship between the players and the the assistant coaches. What are your expectations from a good assistant, uh, whether it's during practice, during games? During practice, I think it could be different because every head coach is different in their approach of how they structure practice. Sometimes they run everything. Um, sometimes they yeah. let their assistants do. But my, mainly during games what do you expect from the assistant coach uh, what kind of guidance what are the what's the information you're looking for as a player and if you have any story that was misguiding that mistakes that assistants shouldn't do please share um i mean i think it's it's a it's kind of a two-way street i think you know the the assistant coaches are sometimes just as important or just as more vital than 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 the, than the head coach because you know the the head coach has his you know his direction he has you know um, you know, his his way of, or his system in place and doing things. But the assistant coach is kind of like his, you know, the branch. I guess you could say if the head coach is the tree, then the assistant coach is kind of the branch, you know, kind of branching off to kind of making sure, you know, everything is 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 ran correctly. Um, for me, my relationship with the assistant coaches, I think, is very important. I mean, definitely during the games, because for me, I'm, I'm always um, – I'm always breaking down the games. I'm always breaking down things. So if I see something or or if I have a question about something, um, I'm always asking the assistant coaches. I'm always trying to, you know, where I sit at and where I always like to sit, I always try to sit, you know, as close to the assistant coaches as possible because, you know, I always want to know something, whether or not it's an adjustment, whether or not I see something. So I think, you know, I think that is an important role, but I think it's also I think, you know, every player, I guess you can say, has their assistant coach, if that makes sense, you know, yep. even at the highest level, you know, they have their assistant coach, they have somebody that they're, they're most comfortable with or they're assigned with. So, you know, it's just about sometimes just bouncing off, you know, ideas or just bouncing off different things you, you see, because usually the head coach is, is cares about everything that's going on. He has to worry about the offense, the defense, the substitutions, this, this that, and the other. Yeah, so yeah. he may not have time to talk to you. So you may see something, you may have a feel about something and you tell the assistant coach, you're like, listen, like we should do this, or I think we should do this. And, you know, hopefully it's his job to kind of communicate that to the head coach. So sometimes the assistant coach is the, is the bridge, I guess you can say, you know, between the head coach and, and the players in the locker room. Um, and then vice versa. Sometimes there's, there's, the head coach, because he's worried about everything, doesn't necessarily have the, I guess, the best way to communicate that to the to the to the players. So sometimes they do that. I'm sure you experience that. Sometimes they do that through the assistant coach because they talk to the player more. They're more comfortable with the player, and they, they can kind of you know tell them in a they may tell them in the same the same thing, but they may tell them in a different way that the that the player, um, you know, understands it. So. Um, I mean, I think, like I said, I, lucky for me, my relationship with, you know, all the assistant coaches have been great um, and I respect the job that they do. Um, but I feel like their dynamic is, is very important. Usually the teams that are most successful have that dynamic. They have kind of like you said, if it's a bridge, they have that free flowing information where it's like information coming, going back and forth. Um, and I think usually that's what makes the, the best team successful. Yeah, I, I think there's a huge trust factor and the, the relationship has to grow. And I think it takes time throughout the season to really 
understand and trust each other um, on, on a different level. I'm not just talking about yeah. just like the X's and O's level and just being blunt with, with information, but that's what I like. It, I had the most joy because I always felt like, uh, I, like in my mind, I was, cause I finished started playing early. I felt like a player. So I felt like yeah. the connection was always like I had empathy for the players, you know, and then you, you always find a way to communicate to one or the other in a different way. And then you establish some kind of relationship, like AJ, Aaron Jackson, like we, we had yeah. a re really good relationship throughout the years, especially because he had a tough time the first year he got to Tseska. And then like through the relationship, through the bond, it kind of like, it helps the player as well to kind of, um, you know, like find his way within the new new team new realm like it's it's a completely new atmosphere and you have to find you have to learn how to swim and and i think assistant coaches have to help um the players to do that yeah i, I agree I, I definitely i definitely agree how is it difficult for you as assistant coach to kind of navigate navigate that um to kind of be you know like you said try to to be truthful but also not to be too truthful or to, to try to relay the information back and forth like how is that how is that for you as assistant coach yeah, there's there's a lot of again there's a lot of nuance also because um, yeah. there's some information there's different topics also that you discuss and there's some information you also um, you know you have to filter out and not bring back to the to the head coach because that's exactly. where the that's where the player trusts you with and he doesn't want it to get yeah. out so you have to yeah. really differentiate between what's what's good and what's not good and I've made a mistake before so I've I'm guilty of that and I I I admit to it but the the for sure you have to put the play on the right path and you know what the coach wants but then you have to find the right wording I think the biggest challenge is to find the right wording of bringing the point across without um, making the player feel still making the player feel like he's a, a part of what we're doing you know because a lot of times mm -hmm. there's expectations attached to the to the questions uh, that that we get asked and then you have to find the right words to say uh, by by you know still, maintaining the integrity of the team, the head coach, and then still making the flair, player understand of what we really want from him and how important it is. I'm sure that like the problem that we're discussing now, that when you came to Bamberg the first time, what, what you told me earlier, was probably in a similar realm of, of, of pro problem, problems for the assistant coaches of how to find... Yeah how to find you as a person and how to connect with you and find the wire, wiring that, that really fits um, your personality and to for you to understand of what it takes to be on that particular team. Because every team is different, like you said, every, every role, yeah. when you get to that, to that team, I think will require a certain, amount, certain, certain kind of communication uh, process. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's one of the things I, I struggled with here initially was because when I, I was in Cheska and I was there for six years with the same staff. So, yep. you know, I, I, we, I, I established a dynamic with them. So I knew if there were certain issues or if there were certain problems, I knew who I can talk to. I knew that, you know, who was the perfect person to talk to for this, for this situation or for that situation. So when I got here, like I said, I've been in one place for six years, same staff, we've run the same system, you know, the same players for the most part. And I come here and I'm just like, oh man, like, I don't know who I should talk to. And if I do talk, should I talk to this person? Am I talking to that person? When I do talk to this person, are they relaying the right information? So it took me a while to understand that dynamic and, and, and get to the point where um, I understood really what was kind of going on here. 
Yeah, you kind of as the longer you are with the same staff, the more you, the better you develop a lingo that that fits, yeah. and you know yeah. you know how to express yourself. And you sometimes one without even saying a word, one one blink of an eye or one nod exactly. is enough to yeah. understand each other. So that comes into play that over time you develop your own language, just like with your best friend. But yeah. also another thing is um, cultural differences. You know the the yeah when you move to a different country, different cultures are around you. You find you know, like, whoa, like now I have to adapt. I have to find a, a, a new way of communicating again and, and adapting myself to a new, new mentality and a different way of thinking. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like you mentioned before, like, because I was with the tutors for six years, it was almost like we had so many nonverbal, like nonverbal cues. Yep. Like we can understand each other or I can understand what he wanted or what, what the situation called for or whatever, without him even, even expressing that to me, or he can just give me a look and I can give him a look or, and we both understood each other. We were both on the, on the same page. And like I said, from here, it was like, you know, it took me a while or it took, you know, us a while with me and Messina or just me and my teammates or just in general, just to understand the, the culture, to understand the mentality, understand everything that kind of going on with here because like you said like here it was almost like we were starting all over from starting from scratch you know they had the guys that were here from last year but even still like this is a new year new team so it was like well you know what if we have a problem with this or we have a problem with that you know how do we figure this out you know if Messina's he's looking at me and you know it, does he think I'm not paying attention or if I do this or if I do that or if I give him a thumbs up is he gonna think that's like you know me being disrespectful so it was like things like that, <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah, nature yeah, yeah. so it was like you know so yeah. it was like you trying to navigate those so I mean it's like like you said it's takes time to build that culture and build those understanding and build those norms together yeah reading between the lines is, is a big thing yeah like you you yeah. really you have to and and i'm an intuition guy i'm, I'm an intuitive intuitive person yeah. i do a lot of things by by just listening to my inner voice um whether it's communicating to players or coaches and understanding sometimes what to say what not to say and then and that's i think with with coming into a new team um, it's, it's a huge part. If you have self-awareness and you have some kind of intuition, you understand the situation, you can put yourself in the person, other person's shoes. And then yeah. you know how to, you start understanding quicker of how to express yourself in, in the correct manner. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, and, and even from me was, was another weird dynamic and I don't mean to keep rambling on, but it was, it was when I was in Cheska, I was the captain. You know, so I'm, I'm, this is, this is like, I built this culture in this locker room. Like, you know, I, I helped establish this culture, like everything that we did, everything that we accomplished over the past six years, along with the coaching of the players there. But I had a big input into what was going on. You know, when things went wrong or a situation went wrong, guys came to me, they looked at me, you know, a certain, a certain situation, somebody was doing something, you know, it was my job where I was, you know, had the, you know, the ability to step up and say something. So now when I come here, you know, I'm going from, you know, I wasn't, the, I'm not the captain anymore. So I'm going from, you know, here where it's like, okay, well, if I see something, should I say something or should I not say something? You know, should I let the cat? So it was like trying to like, you know, like you said, trying to figure that out. And it was like a totally different dynamic. And then, like you said, I was like I said, I, I'm, I'm same. I'm big on intuition. So it was like a lot of times like I want to say something but like, nah, just don't say anything because like it's not your place right now to say anything. Or I want to, you know, point something out or I want to, you know, you know, congratulate somebody. But I'm like, I, I was like, OK, I, I, I can't do that. So. Just another example of like, you know, like you said, the nuances and the difference between, you know, going between two different situations that maybe, you know, from the outside looking in, people wouldn't even recognize. 
Yeah, that's again nuances. I mean, those little things that are like yeah. when it's your place to say something, when not. And I had a situation also the year before you got there when uh, Quinn was there, and mm -hmm. we we were we were in, on the bench, and I remember I don't remember which player it was. Maybe it was Teo or or, and it, we got subbed out, and it was a situation where I wanted to say something, and I was ready to yeah. say something, and I was gonna go because I've I've seen the struggles, and then, and Quinn just stopped me in my tracks, just like uh. -uh. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't not right now not right now so i, I was like uh all right that's a learning process that's that's the learning experience there but I, um i had one where i did say something in in germany in in a, in a timeout where we started a game uh badly in in the first five minutes and we just like mm -hmm. we, we 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 got a run we gave up a run that was just like we start off two to twelve and uh, they come the, the guys we take a time out the guys come into the bench and i was like i was just mad i was starting as an assistant i was just yelling, yelling yeah. and just like and and this this player we had an american player he was like that's not what we need right now <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> and i'm like uh okay okay that's all right it was good uh that's I'm that's just gonna go to with, the corner and sit down <laughs> yeah that, that's that's stuck with and i just kind of like i was like I didn't even say anything back because I was like, he's right. He's right. Like yeah. I, I, that was learning, learning experience for me. So I, th those little things, I think that you really have to understand in that moment and really, okay. Like he's, he means it and it's, it's with a good intent. It's for the better of the team. We ha I have to accept it. That's, that's the way it mm -hmm. is. Um, so you're, you're, you're doing a lot of projects also on the side, like with, with the podcast, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk to you about Elpa a little bit, because I think that's yeah. a, um, uh, like it's closest to, to, to your profession and the player, the player, um, the, it's a player, EuroLeaks Players Association. So I would like to know a little bit more about your works with the Elpa and what the expectations are, what benefits do you expect? What, what's, what's the, what's the deal behind, behind this uh, idea? Um, so, I mean, I guess you can say the origin of Elpa really kind of really started from players speaking out on social media. Um, you know, it was Aaron Jackson and, you know, a bunch of different guys, you know, speaking out about their, their issues, their problems, and, you know, you know, how they felt like they didn't have a voice to resolve those issues. Um, so I think EuroLeague at the time recognized that. Um, and lucky for enough for us that, you know, bulky Nakbar was, uh, was just retiring or transitioning. Um, and he, uh, you know, stepped up to the plate and said that, you know, he would like to be, you know, the person that's the, you know, putting this players, players association together. Um, so we've only been together for, I guess you say, even though it seems longer, it's been a long, a long three years, but three years, um, you know, since we, we started the whole entire association. Um, and mainly what the goal is, you know, to make sure that the players' um, rights are protected, to make sure that the players have a voice, you know, um, at the table when decisions, decisions are made. Um, and just to make sure that the, you know, the players are, um, you know, at the forefront of, you know, of, you know, of all decisions, everything that, you know, everything that, that comes with basketball. Um, you know, right now, EuroLeague, I guess you can say, has been characterized as, um the players are sometimes looked at as the bottom of the totem pole versus you can look at, you know, in the NBA where it's a player's first league. Um, you can see the benefits of, you know, that and why the league has grown so much. So, you know, our goal and our, our I guess our job is to kind of, you know, put the players, you know, in a say pecking order. Um, you hear me? Yeah, no, it's back. It's back now. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to make sure that the that the the players um, are kind of at a higher pecking order. So um, and just to make sure simple things. You know, um, I the story goes that I was I was at the MBPA um, during our first year, and I met with Michelle Roberts and. You know, I met with, you know, some of the people there and I was talking to one of the staff workers and I was telling them the things that we were fighting for. And they were in shock that we didn't have those things. They were thinking, you know, EuroLeague is, a, you know, a big organization. And they were just saying, like, wow, you guys don't have, you know, um, hot meals after games. You know, you don't have, you know, uh, you know, simple things as, you know, uh, exit rows or, you know, um, you know, first class seating, um, which may sound, you know, but it's something that's important, um, you know, also. stickers, pra practice schedule that you know, we're still doing, you know, two a days um, that you guys don't have second second medical opinion, um, you know, those different type of things, you know, that guys are still being paid, um, you know, two, three, four months um, delayed sometimes. Um, and, you know, I mean, and, and little things, the perks, you know, trying to make sure that guys are, are comfortable when they're on the road. Um, you know, there were situations where, you know, guys were going to hotels and, you know, we're trying to make we made it where where guys have single rooms, you know, you know, everybody has their own personal, you know, personal, you know, way they live. And so we wanted to make sure that guys were the most comfortable. Um, but then we're also fighting for bigger things. Um, you know, right now there there isn't a CBA. There's no CBA um, in EuroLeague between the players and and uh, um, in EuroLeague. So, um, you know, we're trying to make sure that there is a CBA. Um, we're trying to make sure um, image rights, you know, making sure that, you know, that 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 players, you know, understand their image rights, um, trying to make sure um, as simple as, you know, you've seen uh, multiple situations that have occurred over the past year, you know, not to mention, like you can mention the Thomas Hortel situation or, um, or even, you know, with, uh, you know, Mike's situation, Mike James's recent situation, those, those different things, trying to make sure that there's, you know, some type of, you uh, some type of, uh, I guess you would say justice, um, justice and protocols that are going to place um, when these yeah. different things, when these different things occur. Um, and then, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, which I'm thankful for that, that we did have um, is more or less the challenge, the channels of information that are being passed. Cause there's a lot of times in many situations where your league was telling um, player telling the coaches, or I shouldn't say the coaches, telling the clubs, you know, information, but it wasn't getting down, it wasn't getting passed down to the players. Mm -hmm. So a lot of players didn't necessarily know what was going on. So I'm thankful that we had these cha these channels um, in place because, you know, imagine if we didn't and we just went through, you know, this traumatic experience with COVID, it's still ongoing, but imagine if we didn't have a, a player association in place during you know these COVID situations with COVID testing and COVID protocols and even you know just you know me or just other guys passing down information about you know what's going to happen about the league you know there was there were situations where there was there was the, the season ended they postponed the season and clubs or teams stopped communicating with players they didn't tell the players anything so guys were literally at home or whatever and they didn't you know didn't know what was going on so you know if we were able to kind of, you know, provide that information channel to these players to understand, okay, this is the situation. This is what's going on, this, that, and the other. So I think that's to me, um, that is the biggest, you know, the biggest thing that, um, that has been the change. And like I said, our overall goal is just to keep progressing and keep making it, you know, better for players. Um, I always say like it, I, I probably, or my generation of players won't be directly affected by it, but 
um, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, you know, the game will be better for it. Yeah, you're paving the way for 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 the up and coming uh, players and kind of setting setting a standard that needs to be uh, you know applied to the to the next guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but is that only for for the Euroleague teams that are year in year out that have a licenses, or is that for everybody's everybody's players who are, are just well, coming right here? Right, right now the way the the system is set is that um, that all the teams that are in Euroleague for that current year are able to reap the benefits or have the okay. benefits. Um, you know, of this with the goal. And I know I get this question a lot. People are like, well, if you're doing it for EuroLeague and how come you don't do it for, you know, Euro Cup or, you know, yeah. further down the line. So what the main goal is, and like I said, it takes time to, you know, make change. But the main goal is, is that if we do these things in EuroLeague and if EuroLeague is the highest level of basketball, then eventually these things will trickle down and start trickling down to the other leagues, to the Euro Cups, the other the the local leagues, and then, like I said, eventually the game will be better for it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I agree. It takes time for everything. So yeah. let's let's hope it continues to grow and and have an impact on on all the players. Definitely. So we're we're slowly slowly winding down, and uh, normally <laughs> normally I would man we could talk forever. This this is yeah but, man. I you know I enjoy talking to you man. So we yeah, can it's, all, all night on this. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's always fun because I mean you're like just pick, picking each other's brains on uh, different exactly. things. Um, usually I I say or I ask uh, I give the coaches three quick hitters because they like to drop quick hitters and and ATOs. But yeah, yeah. since you're a Final Four guy, I'm gonna give you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna hit you with with the Final Fours. Um, final Four quick questions that that uh, jump out in your brain. Um, just some curveballs. Okay. Uh, is there one game or an event uh, that haunts you until this day that you would like to have back? I mean, there's like Tim Ferriss has this question where it says your favorite failure. But I think for, to basketball, like if you have one one game that you could have back, what would it be? And that's a good question. Um, the Milan Final Four, when we played in the Final Four. Maccabi I game. think that that was, uh, I think that was the, I played on a lot of talented teams, a lot of great teams, but I think that team was the most talented team that I played on. Um, and I thought that, if we would have won that game um, and we were maybe one or two plays away, probably one play away from winning that game. And I think if we'd have won that game, I think we'd have went on to, to win the final four. I totally agree. And I can add to that two, two, two little stories. Um, first of all, if Aaron would have gotten hurt, we would have had uh, also, you yeah. know, to stop Tyrese, he was the best matchup. Um, yeah. And once he got, once, once Aaron hurt his knee, it was tough uh, to stop Tyrese, but also, on the inbounds, um, you know, next day in the, in the shoot around, I went to check the spot and it was a like halfway a dead spot. Like it was, it was the ball, the ball didn't bounce right on that, on that. And Kriapa would have caught that ball and was with his clo eyes closed. Easily. So, Yeah. I mean, that would have been, but I always tell Victor too, that that was, so he made, he dropped the ball in that game. But then in 2016, he made the shot for us to go into overtime. So, you know, sometimes like the, that's just the way the stories are written. Sometimes like you have to, you know, you ask why. But like I said, if maybe if he caught that ball, we won that game. Maybe he wouldn't have had the same you know, opportunity in 2016. So absolutely. Yeah, that putback was was uh, a huge. I mean, words yeah. can't describe it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Goals, goals and aspirations after retirement. I mean, I'm not trying to retire you here. I think for like for what it's worth, like if I, I think you could be short rolling through Europe your whole uh, next 10, 15 years. But oh, uh, man, God willing. But I don't know. 
I don't know. You, you, you got to catch me, see how I feel when I wake up in the morning. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> this may be it. <laughs> um, my goals and aspirations is just to, just to continue to be happy um, and, and, and to be successful in life and, and to enjoy the moments um, with my family. Those are the, the biggest, the biggest three. Um, I say happiness because I feel like, you know, um, you know, everybody says happiness, but what is happiness? Happiness is different to, to everybody. Um, you know, for me is, you know, just the, the joy of, you know, experiencing life and living life every day is happy, happiness to me. Um, I say success because, you know, we all want to have, you know, some level of success and, you know, I've been able to, you know, to have success on the court. So now the next challenge is like, how do I have success off the basketball court? You know, I've been identified as a basketball player, you know, as Kyle Hines, the basketball player for so long for the last, you know, for majority of my life. So now it's like, you know, how do I find the success of, you know, being, you know, Kyle Hines, the normal person. Yeah. Um, and then just experiencing stuff with my family, you know, you know, more than me that this profession takes you away from a lot of moments, you know, moments with your families, holidays, celebrations, you know, graduations, birthday parties, you know, different things like that. Um, so for me, you know, having those moments and be able to celebrate those moments to my family, you know, do different things with my kids and stuff like that. So those are the, the three, my three biggest goals, my three biggest pillars, pillars, I guess you can say how I'm going to, you know, try to model my life after, after basketball is done. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a huge, I think it's a huge step. Um, retirement, you know, like retirement because players retire at a, at a young age, man, like you, you compared to the Scary. regular retirements. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. A, you have to reinvent yourself in, 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 in different ways. And I didn't have anything besides plan A of being a professional player. Yeah. It got taken away at a young age. And then I just like, I mean, it was just like, like my, 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 my brain until this day, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, what do you do to take the edge off after games or after, after, um, uh, like tough, tough matchups, tough, tough final fours, tough losses. What is, what is the, what is the thing that you do to relax? Uh, now it's, uh, it's my kids. That's mm -hmm. the thing because win, lose or draw, I'm still their hero. Um, you know, if I lose a game, you know, I come back and I play terrible. Um, the moment I walk in the door, they're, I'm dead. So I'm their superhero, you know, I'm there, you know, I'm still there, you know, their champion. So, you know, for me, no matter what the game is, win, lose a draw, I mean, I come out of the game and, you know, I get in the car, you know, they're the first, first people I call, because, you know, like I said, they, they helped me realize, like, obviously this is a game and obviously this is a big part of our lives, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's still a game. So there's bigger things that, that matter, you know? So for me, um, it's them, you know, um, I come home and, you know, they help take my mind off. They help, help me realize, you know, what's important. You know, I, I may miss a free throw, or I may miss a box out, or I may, you know, do something dumb on defense, but, you know, coming home to them, they, they let me know that, you know, this is, it's still a game, even though it's an important game, but it's still a game. That's right. That's the right way. I mean, I can't, I can't relate much to it uh, because I don't have yeah. that part, but it's, I definitely can understand uh, the significance of it because that's the, you know, you get a sense of reality. Yeah, definitely. Um, one, definitely. One, one word for 2020. Can you, can you do it in one word? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the challenge. Growth. 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 I like it. Growth. I like it. I like growth. It. Um, 
I think that's that's the the biggest word. I think growth because I mean it. Um, it was it, it was a challenging year on many fronts. On many fronts. I mean, we can spend an hour just talking about 2020. But for me, it gave me an opportunity to to grow as a person, grow as a human being, grow as a man, as a father, as a husband, in all aspects. Um, so I think for me, if I was to say one word, it would be growth. Yeah, you again. It repeats itself. You took that as motivation. Again, you took yeah. like you took a uh, screenshot of 2020 and used that as motivation. <laughs> I and honestly, I did. I mean, I, honestly, I did, and I think I and I mean, I don't know if this is disclosing too much information, but I don't know if 2020 would have happened. I don't know if I would have been here in Milan right now. I think you know the fact that 2020 happened. I think you know the whole COVID thing and helping me, you know, re reevaluate and re realize some things and, and and allow me to you know regain a fire and regain you know you know that thought of me me wanting to challenge myself and wanting to yeah. do, you know I was like you know if it if it all ended today knock on wood you know you know would I be satisfied and and when I answered that question to myself you know looking back on the 2020 looking at you know so many people that went through so many things I was like you know this is this is an experience and this is something that I want to do for that reason that those reasons alone yeah no that's a good one um so before before we we um you know tell the tell the people how they can find your podcast and how they can find you if if mm -hmm. um if they want to reach you um do you have like some life hacks some books some some movies that you look back on or that you look at use as motivation or use as some something that you can learn from and make you a better pro a better person um, so the book that uh, is one of my favorites that I would say that um, that I would recommend people to read is uh, is Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, it's a it's a it's an amazing book. It's a it's I have it I have it close if I if you want me to grab it so people can see it. But uh, I'll, um, I'll I'll find I'll write it down yeah. in the notes. Yeah, chop, chop wood, carry water. Um, that it's a it's it's an amazing book. I mean, for me, it, it's something that helped with my mentality and helped with my mindset. Um, and I think that that I think that was that, if that was one book I would tell people to read. I would say I would say that. Who is that by? Uh, I don't want to lie to you. I don't know who the. Okay, author all right, is. all right. I'll put. I'll, I, I, yeah, but we I have read, we uh, have Google these days, so they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I read, man. I read so many books that I I try to read two or three books a month. Um, concurrently, wow. um, just to kind of, I mean, and, and I guess you would say that that is. I guess you say my kids are one escape, but then also books are another escape for me, just to read and just to kind of you know have that 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 sense of you know knowledge, that sense of kind of getting away. So yeah. I just I just started to go back into um, during my playing days. I was really reading a lot of doc, uh, biographies, and yeah. now I, I'm starting to get back on it because uh, we had long bus rides, and now like I have yeah. we have no rides at all. But I I'm <laughs> I'm I'm doing. I, I read Andre Agassi's Open. Have you read that? I heard. I actually heard about that. Uh, Sergio wow. Rodriguez was just telling me about that. He said that book was amazing. He said he read it like in like uh, like three days or something like that. Yeah, you'll so. eat it up. You'll eat it up. It's an it's an amazing amazing book. Amazingly written, written, uh, really easy to read and an eye opening. I mean, it was yeah, great read. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look that look look for look to uh, read that. Yeah, you should you should have you'll you'll like it. Um. Tell the people how they can find your podcast, how they can find. I know with uh, I've Mike Martin has been has been helping you a lot in uh, the yeah. GTM family productions. Uh, I, yeah. I'm subscribed to that, so let's let's yeah. give a shout out. 
Yeah. So, um, so, uh, I have a number of different projects, but, uh, you can, you can see the most recent ones, um, which is, uh, the hoop tales podcast that I did with my brother and my best friend, Mike, um, with them, with the goal to allow, you know, your league players or players that have played overseas opportunity to tell their stories, their ways. Um, we felt that, you know, too many times our stories are dictated for us, whether or not it's by the agent or media or by the clubs. So we wanted to tell, you know, have give guys the opportunity to, you know, tell their stories. And then also, um, you know, for the next generation of, you know, your league or overseas players, you know, if, if you like I said, if you sometimes you need a mentor, you need to look to somebody that has the blueprint or who has done it before you. So a lot of these guys that we talked to have been you know, super successful. So, and they lay it all out, you know, from start to finish, you know, their, their ups and downs, their trials and tribulations of their career. Um, I have a new podcast that's coming out actually uh, within the next week or so. It's the the Players Podcast with the EuroLeague Players Association. Um, and that's going to be um, opportunity for, you know, me to have, you know, in-depth conversations with EuroLeague players, for former and current, um, you know, EuroLeague players to talk about, Things that, you know, topics and stuff that matter the most off the basketball court. So it's going to give a, you know, opportunity for, you know, fans to see um, their favorite players in a different light. But then it's also going to give um, players the opportunity to see their peers in a different light. So we're going to be talking about uh, we racism and social justice. Uh, we're talking about retirement. Um, we're talking about um, real estate and entrepreneurship. We're talking about uh, Bitcoin and uh, talking about nutrition and, and veganism and, um, you know, different things like that. So different subjects that are important to players. But like I said, then something that normally doesn't get talked about, um, you know, every day amongst, you know, out in the open. Yeah, those are very important subjects that people really like to disregard or not even think about. But there's so much yeah. behind the scenes that people don't understand or don't really grasp that's going on you know because it's just the 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 players at the highest level there's still people that have to deal with also you know regular things that other people deal with too just on a yeah. just on a, on a different different uh um i guess different level so yeah, exactly. yeah but but um i everybody subscribe to kyle's podcasts <laughs> plural <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was it's funny i was telling my my wife the other day i was like i don't know how i became a potter like i don't know how this happened like all of a sudden now i'm like a like a professional potter like i just did it like you know literally a couple of years ago off of a whim and now i'm like have multiple podcasts i've done you know many podcasts you know and like i said you caught the podcast bug from me so it's like <laughs> i don't know I don't know how it happened. <laughs> you you slipped into it. I slipped into it, and now we're all just caught in, yeah. the, <laughs> in the podcast. Caught, caught in the web. <laughs> yeah, caught in the web. Yeah. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you. You're 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 uh, setting a good example Anytime. for the next generation, and uh, I'm I'm glad that mm -hmm. our 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 paths have crossed, and and I'm um, looking forward to seeing you again soon. Definitely, definitely, man. Definitely. I appreciate it, man. Anytime, anytime we talk and have a conversation, it's always great. So I thank you for thank you for uh, taking the time and having me as a guest. All, all smiles over here. Appreciate it. See you, everybody. Anytime. Bye.